the truth of it is beneath the surface, you, you really are a really fragile being just because you identify so hard with being something. So I think that's extremely important to, to realize it. And Kim's brought it up to develop other parts of your life in case something like that does happen. Welcome to the Heroic Minds Podcast, where we discover how to get out of our own way, unleash the full capability of our mind, become the hero of our story, and a hero for other people. From an evolutionary perspective, we've evolved to manage threatening encounters. I do everything in my ability to help them, but they make the call. We have to do it in a way that doesn't just assume that going faster is going to be the cure-all. When you suffer, and then you come out of it on the other side, you stand a little taller, your voice doesn't shake anymore, your eyes are always up. Sorry to depress you guys. Self-doubt is par for the course. It's just how you choose to deal with them, react to them, or not react to them. Uh, a little tough love goes a long way and high expectation also goes a long way. But the more you expect of someone, the more they'll do. I have to keep moving forward. No good comes from going back. I don't need red tape. I'm not into rules. I'm not into regulation. I'm just going to do this. Welcome back to the Heroic Minds Podcast. On today's episode, we have two outstanding guests. First, we have Dr. Kim Dawson, Professor of Sport and Exercise Psychology at Wilfrid Laurier University, and the infamous Joey Hishon, past Ontario Hockey League All-Star and NHL All-Star hopeful, until injury pivoted his career in a new and exciting direction. Dr. Dawson's extensive education and research in psychomotor behavior and exercise science gives her a deep understanding of the issues that affect performance. Kim also continues to do extensive work on career transition and identity. Working with elite athletes, Olympians, and professional sport organizations for over 10 years, Kim developed the principles of Mind to Achieve to support people in their quest for personal success. Joey is presently the assistant coach and assistant general manager of the Owen Sound Attack of the Ontario Hockey League, while also working with top NHL players and elite NHL prospects through on-ice skill development. In this episode, I wanted to facilitate a discussion between the science and the lived experience of career change, the issues intertwined when the change is forced or chosen, how to approach those situations, how to leverage them, and how to improve through them. We start with where the issues begin and move through the process to overcoming issues that may have been present for an entire career. Last but not least, Joey shares some updates on his newest client of his on-ice skills business. Every Canadian knows this individual, but I don't think you would predict his attempt at the NHL. Before we hop into this episode, we have to give a shout out to our friends over at True Local High Quality Meat Delivered to your doorstep on dry ice, frozen solid, ready to be thrown in your freezer and pulled out whenever you want it. That's truelocal.ca, T-R-U-L-O-C-A-L.ca. They continue to evolve not only for customers, but also for the environment. They've already moved into recycled packaging, and now for the customer, they're evolving to offer more than just their high-quality locally sourced meats. They're also testing frozen fruits as well. So that means you will be able to order all the types of meat you could ever ask for. You can order them on your tablet, on your desktop, on your phone, and you also decide when it is you want your box to show up. It can be every 30 days, every 37 days. You can get two boxes a week if you are feeding that many people. It is totally up to you and there's no hidden fees when you want to sign up, when you want to cancel. They're an awesome business and I always say this, I don't know what's better, their product or their customer service. If you want to give True Local a try, make sure you use my discount code HEROICMINDS25, all capital letters, to get $25 off a regular size box and $10 off a personal size box. Alrighty, here we go. Uh, at the end, we're going to have to dive into the murmurs I'm hearing about Coach Hish uh, working with a, a Canadian celebrity that actually doesn't play in the NHL but is on stage a lot. So we'll have to dive in and see if the rumors are true. He might be playing in the NHL soon if he keeps putting the work in. <laughs> First, let's go, Kim, what what your background has been, your experiences, people you've worked with, and then we'll, we'll do the same with Joey before we get into the, the conversation here. Okay, so my name is Kim Dawson. By day, I'm a professor in sport and exercise psychology at Wilfrid Laurier University. Uh, probably about 15 years ago now, I started a company called Mind to Achieve, where I work with a number of athletes, anywhere from recreational right through to professional, um, Olympic, elite, you name it. Anyone that's trying to get a little bit better in terms of what they do. And from there, I've actually morphed into corporate. So it's been really interesting for me. Anyone 
that is in any field where they're actually trying to make the best and maximize their potential, there's always things that we can do to make sure that we increase that transference. So it's looking at anything from how do we build our day, day to day? How do we hit it for those big performances that we need? And then also how do we know when that chapter is done and successfully move on to something else? Perfect. Awesome. Hish, I guess it's, it's your turn. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've been in the, the hockey world my entire life. I, I started playing double uh, A hockey here in Stratford. I played played double A my entire life. Actually, never moved into the triple A ranks and um, was drafted by the Owen Sound Attack and was fortunate to spend four great years in Owen Sound. Um, we won a championship my fourth year uh, and, and had the opportunity to play in the Memorial Cup, which is the biggest, biggest stage you can play on in, in junior hockey. And um, in the first game of that tournament, I was... Um, hit really really hard and and didn't play hockey for another two years um and and uh and and was out like i said for a long time uh came back uh ended up playing starting in the american league and worked my way back uh to to play a few games in the nhl um very fortunate to do that and then i moved to europe i was in europe for two years uh and then decided to retire and uh yeah opened my own company called uh skills corp um i like like ben mentioned i i run skills clinics with uh with kids with pros with with junior players ncaa players and uh, i'm also the assistant coach assistant general manager in owen sound which has been an incredible opportunity for me to to develop myself on on this side of the game now and and also stay involved and, and help kids awesome both very humble answers of, of who these people are. I, I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. We've had a, similar conversations a couple times on the podcast, uh, but the close relationship I have with, with both of you, I thought it would be a perfect, a perfect and very timely conversation. We know there's going to be a lot of change in the world, in careers, in also people's identities. And, and that's kind of where I wanted the conversation to start. And, and I'll leave it to both of you to, to start in when we're playing a game or we have a job what is do you think the healthy approach to an identity and and maybe hish you can talk about how that identity changed for you at a very young age and and kim the issues that that exist in in how we start to align ourselves with one fixed identity so i'd like to jump in there right away actually enjoy asking that because it was interesting to me that when you talk about your hockey transition you talk very much from the ohl on but you and I both know, and we all know, that really that transition starts down in minor midget when you're 15 and 16 years old. And that decision about, do I go for the OHL draft? Everything changes at that moment. And so there's so many transitions that a hockey player and everyone has. So if we can just back up to that very first transition in your life, in terms of how did you feel even approaching that and thinking about, is hockey going to be a career for me? Or is hockey going to be a conduit for education, perhaps? or something else, how did you decide right from the get-go that this was something, and who were the people and the supportive players in your life? Yeah, so so I think the most supportive people I had in my life through my my entire hockey career was, was well, my entire life, not only hockey, I can relate it to life as well, obviously my parents. Um, they were extremely supportive in, in whatever decisions I wanted to make, and um, I think that's a great question. It was definitely a hard decision for me to decide on on either the OHL or the NCAA. I considered both options, but um, I had a really good uh, a really good meeting and some really good conversations with uh, Mike Fuda, who was the general manager in Owen Sound at the time. Um, he ended up leaving. Dale DeGray came in um, and again had some really good conversations with him. They they hired a head coach named Mark Reeds, who unfortunately has has passed away now, um, but. It was just uh, I felt it was the right fit for me to to go play in the OHL and and to to Ben's question I think the the identification with being a hockey player starts at such a young age um, and for me that was taken away for some time and I, I think that's such a challenge for people um, when when you identify yourself as something and then something happens and it's taken away it's such a it's such a hard thing to go through but. Um, something that I was very fortunate enough to have some some very supportive people in my circle, and um, I, I want to mention Brian O'Reilly, who I worked with uh, Ryan O'Reilly's dad through this process. And um, before we came on here, Ben, you were talking about your relationship with Kim and how it uh, how it really evolved, and and you really felt connected, and how much that helped you in your journey. And and it was the same for me with Brian. I think a lot of um, the the things that he taught me. Um, and the things that really helped me weren't really from the clinical side. It was more from the friendship side and being able to open up to him on so many different levels. So um, definitely a very tough experience to 
to go through something where, where it's, uh, you're a hockey player. That's all you ever, you've ever done. And that's all you've ever known. It's ripped away from you. Um, so, uh, very fortunate to have a, a very close group of people to help me through those tough times. And I think it's interesting. Like, when you did transition out, did you start to think about it earlier on in terms of where were those juncture points? Because I always find that people, it's not that major one career ending injury or it's not that one major thing, one job loss. We tend to trickle out of it more than we actually come out of it right after one of those things. So did you find that? Was it ruminating in your brain after all these different moves and decisions that you were making that perhaps there might be something more on the other side of when should I move into that? Um, yeah. And you know what, until I got hurt in the, in the Memorial cup, I didn't consider myself doing anything else ever in my entire life. Like ever, I, I, I thought I was going to be a hockey player, no matter what. Um, yeah. I, I can even remember in school, uh, teachers asking me, Joey, what's your backup plan? If hockey doesn't work out and I'd laugh and I'd be like, I, I don't know. I don't need one. Like I, I'm going to be an NHL superstar. Why would I need a backup plan? And then, and then this, this happens, this injury happens and doubt starts to creep into my mind and, and I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to play hockey again. So I think once that injury happened, it, it was a really tough time because it opened my eyes to, uh, you know what, like things happen and, and no one's invincible and you've got to be prepared to do other things. And that's pretty young for you to have some of those life lessons. Did you feel at some point that maybe it wasn't fair that you were experiencing these sort of things when other people were not? Uh, absolutely. That's such a good question, Kim. I, I can remember, um, sitting there in, in my bed, obviously concussed. And at the time the protocol was to, to lay down in a dark room until your symptoms go away. And we've come such a long way since then, um, to, to kind of try and figure out what's going on. You got to be active and, and you got to really push yourself to get better. And I think that's, uh, that's so cool, but yeah, definitely had those thoughts, um, especially towards the guy that hit me. Um, which now I look back at that and like, I have absolutely nothing but positive things to say about the guy. He's, he's an incredible, his name's Braden McNabb. He plays in Las Vegas in the NHL and um, he's an incredible hockey player. And he still, he still hammers guys almost every single game and he's made a living <laughs> from it. So that that's part of hockey. And I can remember looking back saying, or sitting in my bedroom and being so frustrated that he's went on to have this successful NHL career and, and I'm, not even able to play hockey and uh, being being so upset about it. But now when I look back at it, it's almost laughable that I was being so selfish in that time. But I don't think it's laughable, Joey. I think that's part of the process, right? So that's what I'm always working with individuals to say is that you got to honor that first reaction. Right? So you've got to honor whether it's frustration, disappointment, joy, guilt, gratitude, whatever that is. But we can't stay in those emotions. right? So think about if you would have just stayed there, you would have had a very different trajectory and a very different path. So you had the knowledge and you had the perseverance to be able to say, okay, now how am I going to take this and how am I going to respond to it? Because I can't stay in this emotion. But that is a huge level of maturity and emotional maturity that some people would never even acquire. And that's always my concern is that when I'm dealing with individuals is that sometimes we have to learn how to, what can we control and what do we have to deal with? And what is that process in terms of the work that I have to do to get out of that stagnant place that might keep us someplace else? So you glaze over it, but that truly is a sign of real mental strength. And I think that sometimes that's what hockey does give us that we don't really know that sport does. Is this perseverance? Is this ability to deal with challenge? Is to look over to the next play, the next chapter, whatever it's going to be, and figure out the successful strategy to do it. So would you say, Kim, that at, at that point <laughs> when when we do go through or we're about to go through a lot of change and frustration yep. is a big part of it. Confusion, uncertainty, a lot of things that do lead to stress early on. It's actually okay. And, and somewhat important to allow yourself to feel those emotions. What is the, yeah. I guess, what would someone's path through that be? What should they be looking for? What would be a brief timeline of, okay, you know what, you can dwell on it till you get to this point or, or what would that look like? Well, it's different for every person. So, for example, sometimes if I'm dealing with an athlete that maybe had a major um, upset in terms of the race that they did or a game that they had, I will say to them a very limited amount of time. Like I'll say, have a good old pity party. And I will say, you know, listen to a Justin Bieber song as we, as we think about our Stratford natives. Go ahead, listen, <laughs> let it go, let it fly, right? And But by 8 o'clock tonight, I want that off. And after 8 o'clock, we're going to have a conversation and you're going to tell me three steps that you're going to utilize to get through this and that's the thing about emotions is that they can either be like anchors and hold us back or they can be these really nice propelling things that can push us forward and say i continue i don't want this emotion so i'm going to change it and do something different so i don't have it 
or I really enjoy the pride and the joy that I have with this is challenging, but I'm really leaning into this thing and I'm proud of who I am. So how do I keep going forward with that? I don't think there is a formula for any one person or for any one event. I just do know that sometimes when people linger too long, they need a little bit of a kick in the butt and I'm willing to give them that kick in the butt too. And I think that's when it's really important to have other people in your life that are starting to realize that the linger might be an impediment. So let's start moving through this thing. Yeah. Little tough love goes a long way. I'm, I've <laughs> experienced that. <laughs> so, hey, Sean, I want to dive into that and, and we'll get it from Kim as well. Um, but that transition of, okay, redef- whatever the word is, I've, there's a lot of cliches, but redefining yourself, re-identifying, realizing you're more than the hockey player. And I think the, the trouble is, in, especially in the sporting world, is when players hear that, they kind of roll their eyes. I'll never have to deal with it. That soft kind of approach, right? Yet it's all funny until you know it comes time to we actually have to do that. So in your words, Hish, and then we'll go to Kim. Are you still working through that? How have you, have you changed your identity? Have you changed in your mind who you are, what your values are? Do you remember the first moment you had to start working through that process? Yeah, I, I would definitely say, Ben, I, I, I would 100% say I'm still going through it every day. I think it's an everyday process and um, redefining yourself is, is something that's fluid and constantly changing. So um, for me, a huge realization for me was uh, when I first when I first retired, I actually took a job, my first ever, my first ever real job outside of the hockey world uh, for a paving company here in Stratford. So I worked for eight weeks, two months on uh, a paving crew. And it was, it was such an eye-opening experience to me that, um, you know, I'd go to work at 6.37 in the morning and sometimes not get home until 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, uh, wake up the next day and have to do the same thing all over again. And um, it was such a big realization on how hard some people work. Um, and, and how, I mean, we're so fortunate and lucky to be in the hockey world and do what we do. But at the same time, um, the real world is tough and, and you really have to respect what pe- people do. So for me, um, I try and take that work. I, that's when I opened Skills Corp. Um, that's when I started really trying to trying to push this side of my myself and really develop myself on this side of the game. And uh, it was a it was a tough realization for me, but um, something that I'm very fortunate to, to have the chance to go work for that uh, work for that paving company and see the real world and what it really look what it really looks like. So, Kim, well, how would you define that experience of Joey going from the hockey world to those shifts that, with the paving company? What is what is going on in in someone's mind and their identity, or what? Did, I guess what does that experience do for someone? Well, I think, first of all, you got comfortable with the uncomfortable. You knew that there was going to be some gray area in there and you stuck in it, right? And so that's what I always try to encourage people is that uh, I always use the, if we go back to hockey, for example, we look at someone like Wayne Gretzky. When he left the game, everything was in line. His emotional response, the way he was thinking about things and behaviorally. None of us, that's a real oddity that any of us get to leave our sport, leave our job, leave our relationships, leave this world quite frankly, with all three of those being in line, right? So even now in this pandemic, I'm trying to explain to people that's what's causing us so much pain is the fact that some are not going to be able to return to their job when they weren't emotionally ready to leave it. So as a human being, I kind of make it like a horse race. So what's leading? What are we going to do the behavioral chart? So for you, you made a behavioral decision which said, I'm leaving this, this hockey world right now. So your emotions and the way you were thinking about things were lagging, and that's okay because you understood that you had to go. So what that means then is you're constantly in a state of getting your emotions in contact with that. I'm not in the hockey world anymore right now. Now I'm a supporter of the hockey world, and that's okay with me. And then there's some days that go, damn it, I could still be in that hockey world. And then you have to pop back up and say, but it's okay. I'm doing what I'm doing right now. So I always call it like cognitive gymnastics. Like we have to now become much more aware of the emotions that we want to get. And we have to say the things that we need to, to get those emotions in line. So, and, and, you know, all different types of, of behaviors can change and it can be difficult on any form, right? So then you see individuals that are emotionally ready to go. You hear people that are ready for retirement and they can't go because they're not financially capable of doing that. So that's a tough situation to be in too. You go into your job every single day. You really don't want to be there anymore. You've gotten everything you can from it. So the bottom line is I say get comfortable with being in that uncomfortable leg part. And it may take days. It may take weeks. It may take months until we can get all of that up on top. But it's coming and we'll get there. So patience is the thing that we want to do and make sure we're always moving those three things in the right direction. The way you say that, Kim, is 
awesome because it puts value on that. However long that stage is, that stage of uncertainty actually seems like it's forming or changing your, and probably if, I mean, I don't want to overstep my boundaries, but even on the neuroscience level, I'm sure there are some things even physically changing. Um, But the way you think about things, I think that there is value in that stage, even though it is uncomfortable, people can kind of reflect on the idea that, okay, this discomfort is actually shaping me for whatever I'm about to do next. Absolutely. And I say that that is the most um, mature form of humanity is not to lead with your emotions. Because if we led with our emotions, we wouldn't work out in the day. We wouldn't go to work. We would just wait to feel for things. And and unfortunately, the individuals that are very psychologically immature do do that, right? I don't feel like doing this. And there's so many distractions and unproductive things that we can do that we can divulge ourselves in that. So really what I'm asking people to say is really when you want to lead and make really good choices, let's do behavior first, thought second, and feelings third so that our feelings are in line. I'm proud of the behavior that I did. It was really difficult for me to leave this and make this decision and come home and start this business, but I did it. So I feel really good about myself. That's a much more productive way of going forward than someone that says, oh, I just left hockey because I didn't like it anymore and I'm going to go sit in my basement because I don't really know what I'm going to do, right? So that's what I'm always encouraging people to do. And at very young ages, like that's what I'm articulating to the athletes that I'm working with because right now, Ben and you and I have had these conversations and I'm quite concerned about this identity foreclosure that I'm seeing where when you do ask individuals and it's not just hockey anymore unfortunately all sports have started to ride into that model it was first to get there but we're moving into it so I my message is, is that I when your sport is just what you do it's not who you are your job is just what you do it's not who you are and Quite often, I'll, I'll lead with the statement when I meet a new group is, I may not know if they're going to make the NHL. I may not know if they're going to make the Olympics or the world. But I do know that this career of yours is going to end someday. And so we better start making decisions today about how we think and feel and do that are going to put us in a good position about whether that's going to be in one year from now, 10 years, or 20 years from now. So getting people to understand that even decisions that you make, and that's why I pushed you right back to when you were 15, 16, those decisions led you to where you are today. And that's a hard message for young kids to hear. But every day is just a series of really conscious choices about what we're doing and where we can go with that. I want to have, hop back in to, to ask Joey something, but that that is the ma- magic that I want to get to. That's the magical part of this conversation is that whether it's hockey, whether it's soccer, whether it's accounting, uh, insurance, whatever that job is that someone has, and they, they managed to shape that identity to that single-sided thing, which I think a lot of people do, how do we not only prepare for a time when, you know, we might, we might not do this forever. How do we become the best we can be not, not defining ourselves by one thing, even though we are doing one, one job every day, right? You can be be in your mind more than a hockey player and still play in the NHL. I think that's the healthy place we want to get to. But before we dive into that, Hish, I'm curious about when, when you do ever have thoughts of, geez, I wish I could still be there. You know, I think, again, you, you're so humble on this call. Everyone in the hockey world that knows you knows you could have been that all, NHL All-Star. It's not just an idea. Uh, you were on your way there. When you think of, of that, again, you, you touched on it. You know, I could have been there. It's unfair that others made it. Uh, when that pops into your mind, what is your process uh, mentally to deal with it, break it down, and move on, move on from it? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question again, Ben. I think it, it changes for me every single time. I, I remember this year I was having a, a casual conversation with Jordan Bennington, and it was in the, I think it was in January. And uh, he said to me, Hish, how long have you been retired now? And I said, uh, almost two years. And he goes, wow, what a story that would be. You come back, make a comeback, and come back and play pro hockey. And literally for like two weeks, all I could think about was, should I, should I be coming back and trying to play hockey again? So, I mean, it happens all the time, and I think it's, uh, like I said, it lasted a couple weeks, and then, like Kim said, I started to realize, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing now. Um, uh, my wife here in Stratford, we're, we're trying to start a family. We, we're putting down roots, something we haven't been able to do. Um, so that's been extremely exciting for me, being able to leave the hockey world and then develop that side of my life as well. So I think I just kind of have realizations okay wait a minute i take a step back i look at the thoughts i'm having going okay this this could be a little bit irrational right now for me to drop everything i've started and and try and go back and play play pro hockey again so 
I think it's uh, it's super important to kind of take a step back and, and look at those thoughts and go, okay, that, that might be a little bit irrational. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the path I'm on and, and just continue to go about everyday life and do the best I can with what I'm doing right now. And that's, that's really good thinking. And that's exactly what I'm trying to get people to do is take that reflection point. And it's okay to take that moment to think, hey, what would that look like for me and have that and devolve through it and really go through it. So you are a very powerful thinker. And that's not all people can because they can have one of those types of thoughts and it can take them on a trajectory that they don't really need to do. And they'll put the effort back into that. And it can lead to a very bad day or a couple of days and those sorts of things. So it really is, I'll go back to that term mental gymnastics about really just um, cognitively restructuring the way you think about the things that you do in a much more productive way. And and I will encourage that too for all individuals. And you just mentioned about the fact that you're thinking about starting a family. You're going to start into a new role as a father. And there's going to be times there where you're going to think about, uh, and there's a perfect example where the behavior leads and the feelings have to come around behind it to try and figure that out. And we all have those feelings and we all have those days. And, and I'm a mother of two and I love my relationships that I have with my husband and everything. But there are some days that I walk into my department and I look at who's got the chair position and who's got the administrative positions. And I have to say, you know, no, I spent my time having conversations with individuals that I'm really interested in investing that time in. So I think that's what we all need to do is really take an assessment of where did we put that time? And if it is the value, then we have to accept the consequences of where we invested that time to. And it will be okay. But it doesn't mean that there's not going to be times where we're just going to be like, oh, I could have been. <laughs> I could have been. I could have been a contender. Right? And then we just have to walk through that and remember where we are. Wow, what a humbling way! I've never heard it like that. And we've talked, we've talked a lot, Kim. I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't uh, deliver that earlier. But I love that. That's such a humbling side to it, which I think is important in because I think it comes back to a lot of ego. Well, I'm this person, I'm this identity, and I should be the best at this and be able to do it as long as I want. But the reality is, life doesn't work like that. But to to kind of come to terms with, I also invested and took a lot of risk to try and be this one thing. So you're, you're kind of putting yourself out there, taking that risk on your own. Yeah. Which is, uh, again, the, the, the million dollar question to me is, and, and I try to do it with the young athletes I talk to, and, and Kim, I think it's similar to you, is while, even while you're playing your sport, I think it's hard to convince young athletes, and again, this goes beyond sport, that we are more than what we're doing, and you can still be the best at it. I think if you tell a, a young hockey player today, unfortunately, hey, you can be you're, you can do more things, spend time away from the rink, and you can still be the best. And they'll think, no, I have to, I have to eat, sleep, breathe what I'm doing, or I'm not going to be the best at it. And I, uh, I guess both of you, we can start with whomever. What would your approach be to an individual that thinks they have to obsess over one thing to be the best at it? I think that absolutely, psychologically, that's the antithesis of what we want to do because you're emotionally burnt out. And that is one of my big frustrations is because I do get to work with athletes at the elite level and we understand periodization. So when I bet you found that, Hish, is that as you moved on, you played less hockey as the higher you got up in those ranks because we understood the importance of rest and recovery for us to be able to perform at our best. And so I, I get frustrated then when we come down to the lower recreational ranks where we don't utilize that type of information and we feel like we have to be all on all the time. And now that we've got so many people working from home, that's one of my concerns as well. And so I'm doing a lot of talks about how do we manage this. And the one thing that I've been saying is that let's actually make our weeks different from our weekends. And what does that look like? So our weekdays can be more productive. They can have more structure. They can be more work-oriented. But on those weekends, we've got to have less structure, more creativity, more opportunity to just remove ourselves from what that is and stop defining ourselves that way, not even have conversations about it. So that is my concern right now. People are fatigued. Why are they fatigued? Because whether you're a student in school, your school is dragging on. You're doing it at 8 o'clock in the morning, and then you're doing it at 10 o'clock at night. You're just not getting away from these things. So I think it is really important to us right now to go back to that question of yours is that we just have to have off periods where we do different things. So it's okay to jump in, but we got to really know when to jump out of this thing. Because as we know for growth, it doesn't matter whether it's emotional growth or muscle growth or intellectual growth, where that growth happens is in our downtime and in our recovery time. 
So if we don't have adequate enough amounts of that, then we're not going to get those endpoints that we want. And we'll ultimately get burnout and staleness. And whether you leave your job because you have to do it or you leave your sport, it comes from the same process, which is too much too soon for too long. I guess yeah. his, what, sorry, I was going to say your approach to, to that. And I guess even with the young athletes and NHL athletes you work with, I, I wonder how your opinions changed from the day you were in class telling your teacher, you don't have to worry about your backup plan because you're going to be an all-star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's that's an that's a really important question, and that's something I get asked all the time. I I it's probably the most common question I get is when should I specialize? When should I tell my kid or or when should my kid only focus on hockey? And and my answer is never. Um, and, and I say that every single time. And I think it's so important to do other things and and play other sports and and I mean be active with your friends. It, if it's playing road hockey, if it's playing soccer, if it's playing basketball, if it's picking up a guitar and trying to learn something else completely outside of the athletic world, I think that's super, super important for, for kids and their development. And, and even as you get older, when you start to play pro hockey, I know Ryan O'Reilly is an unbelievable guitar player. And, and one of the main reasons he plays guitar is to get away from hockey. Um, so I think it's super, super important. Like Kim said, you don't want to get burnt out. And I think it's very real and very possible for kids and, and even older players, professional players to get burnt out and sick of what they're doing if they're not, uh, if they're not doing other things. It's hard in our structured sport model now because if a child even starts to talk about, hey, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed or this is a little bit too much, particularly when we start adding school into the mix and we see that. So minor midget year comes at a really crucial time. These kids are in high school, two years, they're starting to think about their future. It's very difficult for them to get that relief because they can't necessarily say to their coach, I'm sorry, I can't come to practice tonight. I have a biology assignment that's due. And so I'm really talking to the young coaches such as yourself and new people about we know exactly where that line is in terms of not having people take advantage of it, but we really need to start looking at the holistic individual. And that individual is someone that we want growth from because we want these kids at the end of the day to be contributing citizens. That's really what our end goal is, isn't it? And so whether they're hockey players or not, that's really irrelevant to the growth of who they are. So looking at these opportunities to make sure that these kids are developing in the way that they are, because I work with so many athletes that are so stunted. And you, you can say this too. We've, we've had these conversations where look at the hockey players that have been casualties of this model because they grew themselves physically in the world of hockey, but they didn't grow themselves financially, emotionally, socially. So no relationships, no opportunities. And that's what makes me so sad is that if we, more educated individuals in this model, understand that there's more casualties than there are success stories, then really let's start at the grassroots and really have those conversations and build organizations like you have that allow for that periodization and allow for those rest periods and allow them to even do different things that might even happen within your skills component that might not be related to hockey, but skills that are for skills, physical skills for fitness or for life. Yeah, I, I think that's super important as well, Kim. And, and I, I related to um, the work I've done with, with Brian O'Reilly and, and the way he talks about connecting and connecting for me now, connecting with the athletes that I work with. I think it's so important to not put pressure on them to only focus on hockey or only focus on working out. I think it's super important to have that open relationship and connection where they can be 100% honest with you and tell you when they are feeling a little bit burnt out and, and you you're in a position to trust them and, and make sure they're doing things that they need to do to, to get better and, and uh, develop other, other parts of their life. And I'm really excited because I've been working with a lot of hockey clubs lately with the 13 and 14 and 15 year old boys that are exactly articulating those sorts of messages and very simple types of things about how do they self-regulate themselves in a way that isn't structured simply through hockey? Because that's one of my concerns as well is that when the structure goes, also does the motivation, also does, as we talked about, the identity or this ability to actually do things for free play. And that's, this whole pandemic has been interesting. That's my question I ask people is, well, what do you choose to do with this time that you have? And you see people really struggle with that. And so I've, I've said to the athletes coming through here, there's going to be three types of individuals that walk through this sort of pause period that we have. One is going to be the status quo. We're all going to come out of here and no, you know, no harm, no foul. We'll be the same. The second type is going to be this individual that's actually going to lose momentum, whether it's in their job or their relationships or whether it's in their sport. They're going to come out less fit, less capable, less able. And there's going to be a few people that are going to take this time as a real opportunity to say, look, I got some time back in my life. 
what does that mean? Does it mean I want to journal? Does it mean I want to run more? Does it, what, what do I want to do with that time that I can actually develop a skill? And that skill can be anything from learning delayed gratification and patience to actually becoming a, a, a marathon runner. So I'm really encouraging people, but it's, it's hard. It's really hard to push people up that, that internal regulation and government spectrum because we are so overscheduled and overregulated that we really stepped in down the continuum. People just don't know how to deal with that. One thing I've been discussing with a, a couple guests on the podcast, and, and I don't want to bring this back to the messaging that, that I usually deliver, my curiosity would be, is there value then to, to hopefully avoid some of those issues you just spoke of, Kim, when, when there is change, uh, maybe not in what we're doing exactly, but how we're doing things? Is there a greater value in having an identity that, that goes so much deeper that we focus on that doesn't matter if we're a hockey player, doesn't matter if we're an accountant, doesn't matter what we're doing. Uh, we have this identity of being, we're, we're someone that, that acts and lives in this way. Is, is that a healthy approach? Is that, is that even feasible, do you think? I think it is feasible. And, and I don't even know if it's the term identity or not, but if we look at people's personality, there's, there's definitely a core to it, which is just the sense of who they are, right? And what I'm trying to get people to develop is the sense of confidence that says, regardless of the environment that I find myself in, I'm capable of developing the coping strategies and the skill set that's necessary to be successful. So whether I'm in hockey, whether I am working for a paving company, whether I am running my own skills company, whether I'm doing my podcast, I know that I can develop and define myself and find that to do that. So that's a really healthy identity. It says that regardless of the environment, I dictate my own journey. So those types of individuals, they don't tend to get learned helpless. They don't tend to get stale or burnt out because regardless of the environment, they make it what they want it to be and need it to be for them. That's powerful. I think it also helps someone to not latch on to a created value that that's in our own mind of how much like we gave hockey so much that it, it's got to give me it in return because I've created this value of being there and uh, being that all-star and maybe having a certain car, or a certain lifestyle. Uh, I guess if you have the approach you just discussed, Kim, then it really doesn't matter. You're going to make the best out of whatever lifestyle it is. You have the opportunity to live. Right. And sometimes I'll tell you honestly, sometimes when I'm talking with parents, I'm pretty even keel in terms of what my patience level is. But there was one time where I was talking to parents of a team where I actually said to them fairly emphatically, why do you make your children feel that anything less than getting to the NHL is a failure? Like, why? Why? We have to look at, you made a rep team when you were 14 years old. You made a rep team when you were 15 years old. You made a rep team. That upon itself is a value, right? So I hear them, I just played junior B. That bothers me more than anything. Junior B is a major accomplishment for the skill set that you demonstrated. So that's where I'm trying to work with some environments about the language and the communication and about what do we define as a success? Because if it's such our latitude is so small, we're going to have so many people feeling so poorly about themselves when really they did everything right. And it was just our evaluation of what that rightness is. That's wrong, really. Kim, I have a, I have a, a question for you, uh, uh, kind of about what you just said. So I, I deal with parents on a, on an everyday basis and, and I feel like, for any parents listening right now, I, I really feel like they can be a huge, huge issue in their kids' development with how hard they're pushing kids and pressuring their kids to, like you just said, play in the NHL or, or for a girl, play NCAA hockey and get a scholarship. Do you, yeah. Is there any way for um, coaches that are coaching minor hockey or skills coaches working with young kids to approach parents and talk to parents about that those things when you see them pressuring their, pressuring their kids way, way harder than they should be? I think it's about bringing it to their awareness because this is one thing I say, parents' intent is always admirable, right? So it's not that they're, they're intentionally trying to do this to their children. And so if we can make them aware of it, and basically I try to hit them where it really hurts is that what you're doing right now is really the antithesis. If you want your child to get a scholarship or if you want, then we got to play the long game. So what does the long game look like for you? And so I'll give them very tangible skills about driving to the rink, which is, don't talk about hockey. Driving on the way home. Talk about what you're going to do when you get home. So really telling them how to communicate and do some different things. And that's one of my favorite um, talks that I'm giving right now. Is I love organizations that realize with young kids, it's going to be the triad. It's going to be the athlete. It's going to be the coach. And it's going to be the parent. And we all have to message and communicate the same thing. 
So generally, parents and I find that once we have that conversation, they're more than willing to change. They too just have been sucked into an organization that have taken on those cultural norms, even when they know they're not right. And, and I say that myself, I'm an educated individual and I've got two kids that have gone through the structured sport model. And there are times where I get pulled into that vortex where I have to say to myself, no, no, you know better. And, you know, actually I'll, I'll tell you a really personal story. So my son was 16 years old and he was playing on an old age volleyball team that was 18 year old. And first of all, we were so prideful for him because what a fun, what a skill to be able to do that. And then as the season went from September to October, he was so exhausted and he was so tired. And finally I said to him, do you think this environment's right for you? And he said, I, I don't think it is. And I said, he said, if I stay here, I will be so exhausted that I don't think I'll be able to play next season. So we did. We took him out of that organization, put him into a whole different organization where he could play with kids that were his own age. And really, if you ask me about some of the things that I'm most proud about, I'm proud of that decision. And I'm proud of seeing that with my own son. And then, and then I turned around and when I was teaching my classes at Wilfrid Laurier, I was very honest with them and said, I teach this every single day. And yet I watched my son for eight weeks be a victim of the situation. And I think that my students will remember that going on with their own children that it just takes that amount of, I had to get my ego out of it. Right? I had to get my ego out of it to be able to make that right choice for him. So I, that's what I encourage people. And I, I just think we're all trying to do the best thing. So let's really reflect on that sometimes and, and, and get there as fast as we possibly can to make that change. I kind of want to steer the, the conversation to a word that comes up a lot. And, and I think sometimes it, it works in certain contexts is the idea of being vulnerable and I think that's that's fantastic when it comes to opening up about things and, and Hish, uh, you with Brian and, and myself with Kim being open and vulnerable and having that that awesome relationship to do so. I think there's another side to this, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and, and let me know your, both of your opinions on this, is the vulnerability that exists when you are just that single-sided person or, or that's what you believe. Like I reflect on when I, back when I was 18, 19 and, and playing and thought this is amazing and I I, ha- I couldn't ask for more. But it's the interesting thing is you're one degree away from being the most vulnerable person ever with, with really nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I look at even, even when I played and, you know, you get these, these young players you hear through the league that, that get a signing bonus and are able to go buy a pickup truck and, and you know, another 200000 in the bank and you think it's everything. I think we get so uh, not disoriented, but blinded by that stuff. Those, those created values and, and the fabricated, you know, versions of happiness that we forget to see how vulnerable an individual can be when they're in that state that this is my everything. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the best at it. Nothing else. Um, what would your opinions be on that, that feeling of vulnerability that, that consciously people may not even be aware of? I actually think people act in ways because they're they're vulnerable, they know they have to. I have to go buy the truck now because this. I have to show that I have this money from playing the game of hockey. So, anyways, I'm I'm babbling, but I, I wondered your your opinions on on the vulnerability side of, of finding yourself in this identity crisis. You go ahead, Joey, because you're experiencing it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's an incredible way to to put it, Ben. It, you're so vulnerable when you identify with with for me being a hockey player. So I, I thought I had no worries in the entire world, and one little small event happened in the Memorial Cup, and all of that was taken away from me. And I realized I was one of the most vulnerable young humans in the entire world. So I, I think that's that's super important that you're so fragile. And you don't even realize you're fragile. You think you're this tough, macho person that has, you know, everything in front of you and can do whatever you want. But uh, the truth of it is beneath the surface, you, you really are a really fragile being just because you identify so hard with being something. So I think that's extremely important to, to realize it. And Kim's brought it up to develop other parts of your life in case something like that does happen. You have things to fall back on and you, and you have things that you can be successful at in other avenues. And, and that's, a, that's a super, super cool way you put that. Mm-hmm. And, and yet I will say we have to have a certain level of a perception of control because if we do feel too vulnerable, then we put ourselves at risk as well, right? So the truth is we have to perceive that we have some control over our environment with a real healthy knowledge that this could happen. And so I always find that that's my job for the athlete. You do what you need to do. I'm going to keep my eye on the what if. And so even that's my conversations with Ben. Like, honestly, whether he realized it or not, he was singularly focused on what he was going to do tomorrow. And I was focused on what he was going to do two years and three years down the line. 
So stretching those conversations for them and doing those sorts of things. And that's what I always encourage parents to do is because athletes are so singularly focused. It's a selfish endeavor. It really, really is. It's me, me, me. This is what I need for me to be successful. So while they're doing that, I want those other adults that do have some life skills to start thinking about what is it that we need to develop on this other way. And again, it's not, it does not have to be clinical. It doesn't have to be forced on them, but it can be massaged into their lives. So how did that individual learn how to play guitar? Well, his parents had to introduce it to him at one point, so it was a skill for him later. And I always say that is give your kids something, give faith a chance, give music a chance, give something else a chance that you may not need it at this juncture, but you will need it five years, 10 years down the road. And if we don't plant the seeds now, we'll never have it. And, and Kim, correct me if I'm wrong, but even, even trying to relate this to the, the coronavirus right now, I feel like we're so out of control. That's why people are struggling so much. So we're always striving as a human. We're always trying to grab control and be in control right now. We're in a situation where we're out of control and that's why I feel like people are struggling. And I wouldn't say we're out of control. I say we've given proxy control. So here's someone like myself that's pretty much a leader in all the things that I do, that I get to define my day. I'm a mother. I'm a professor. I'm a consultant. Those are all high-controlled things that I have. Now, it doesn't really matter how I feel. When I read the statistics as a researcher, what I think about our recovery plan, I have to give my proxy control to Doug Ford. So that's what we're really struggling with, some of us, is that how do we allow someone else to govern the pace of our life right now? And so you're right. There's people that are used to giving up that control, and they've gone even farther down, which is, oh, okay, I just don't know what I'll do. I can't, I can't figure this thing out. And then there's people like myself that I really had to learn not to fight that aspect of it, which is, okay, give me the manual. I'll figure this thing out. I'll get us back on track, and away we go. <laughs> right? So, yeah, there's two types of individuals that are in there, but because control is a really tricky thing, is that some people really exercise all that they have in their lives, and then when it's taken away from them, that struggle for them. And then there's other individuals that don't exercise near enough and they give way too much of their control to any individual, whether it's government, politics, health, or your family, anything like that. Kim, would you say it's important to, because there's two things I guess you could do in that situation. Do you think it's important to be, try to find a way to be okay with having less control or simply take control of and I'm, and not just mentally, but really take control of the things you can, but can that become stressful thinking, oh my gosh, I need to find something I can control. So is it, I look at the a healthy balance in between? I'm not sure. That's exactly right. So I always see this, this overall model of productive thinking, which is like, figure out where did the stress come from? What, what's causing you this discourse right now? And it's really good to take that awareness in the morning and say, what is the mood that I'm waking up with right now? And why is that? Right. So I don't like when people habitually go on and do different things and there's no conscious awareness because that's typically when we start to get into erroneous patterns is we just don't do things. And so uh, a decision is making no decision based on no awareness, too. And so once I ask myself that, then I ask people to put things into two categories. What do you just have to deal with that you really, it's not worth your effort. It's not worth you mobilizing your resources and whether that's an emotional response, your fight or flight or, you know, or find a friend, but really just what do you just got to deal with? And it could be just cool patience or whatever it is. And then what can you personally control? Right? So what do you have exactly? Like you said, small building blocks from the bottom up, which is today, what could make my day better? And that's quite often how we start in our house is where we'll have a conversation with each other and I'll say to my sons, what can I do today that can make your day better? Um, how can I help you and support you in a way that you need to do what you need to do? So very simple question, but it really is showing what can we control for each other from the very bottom and build our day out that way. Kim, you brought up one of my one of my uh, favorite quotes earlier in this conversation, and I feel like it, it might relate a little bit to what, what's going on right now. You said, get comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. and I think we're in, a, in an uncomfortable situation right now, and that, that's actually something I've been saying to myself is, um, okay, I'm a little bit out of control. I can't really do the things that I'm used to doing. I'm usually on yeah. the ice at least three, four hours a day, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, and then find the nuggets, right? So I each week I look back on my week and I try to think about where were the nuggets. So um, with my 17-year-old son, he asked me to help him embroider Hendrix on his jeans. Well, I didn't see that one coming. That was a great day, right? So that takes 
precedence for all those times that I was feeling usurped and uncomfortable and all of those different things. So that's what I think you're very good at in terms of making the decisions. And, and athletes are if they've done their career well. And, and Ben's very similar to that. You guys are good thinkers. And there are some very productive good thinkers that get you where you need to be. So it is. Even in the midst of the seven days, maybe... 70% of the time, I felt a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit out of control. But man, there was 30% of the time where I went for that run and I had that conversation and I really nailed that. And so we get the choice. We can train our brain to see what we either we do do that leads us forward and sort of put those other things in, the, in, in, in behind us a little bit in our peripheral vision. It's been interesting how the conversation has now just naturally, as we've worked through this process, gone to other things we're doing right we're sewing mm -hmm. patches on jeans we're talking about running hish is talking about his family and other values that he's found in his life all as we and it seems like that's how the process really actually goes is things that looked gray and black to you that weren't exciting at all once you step outside of that and i hate reusing the word too much but quote unquote identity when you step out of that now things look a little shinier and more attractive and bring joy into your life and I want to take a step back before we step forward, Hish. I'll ask you the question. It came up with, with Brock McGillis on the, on the podcast when I had him on. Brock's an unbelievable guy, first openly gay professional hockey player, amazing person. And we, we talked about the issue of, of players being able to find value in other things. He, he said, you, you won't find a player bringing a, a violin or a novel into a locker room. And now I, I won't speak for you specifically, Hish, because I've, I, again, I think if you tell someone, hey, I know Joy Hish, and they'll say, oh, I love that guy, so down to earth. And, and I, maybe you would have back in the day. Maybe you wouldn't have. I, what is your approach to that from when you played to what it is now? If you could have gone back into the hockey world, do you think with what you've learned, you'd be willing to bring your guitar in, you'd be willing to bring a, whatever into the locker room? Has that changed for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and I will say that um, I feel like the, the guys that are or the people that are willing to, to do those things, they're usually the happier ones. So the, the guys that are all macho macho and, and trying to act cool and identify with being a hockey player are usually the ones that are, you know, you know like we, we mentioned earlier, the most fragile. So I think it's super important to encourage those things. And um, it, I mean, whether it's whether it's a guitar, whether it's a book, like you said, whether it's um, I mean, music, wh whatever you're trying to get into, whether it's art, I think it's super important to, to get into those things. And as, as a coach um, or as anybody to, in a position to, to encourage those things, I think you really should because they're, they're such important things. And I mean, people do, people do tons of different things and it's, it's great for us to be able to support absolutely everything there is for other people to do. Have you guys seen change? That's what I'm just wondering. It was a good question, Ben. What have you seen? Has there been this evolution? Do you find that there's more acceptance for... I remember um, Ben told me when he first started triathlons in terms of what the response from one of his coaches was, was not, hey, Ben, that's a great opportunity for you. He was very much concerned about the territorialness of, of hockey. So has that evolution happened? Are you guys seeing it or no? I think a little bit. I think it's starting to happen, but I definitely think it, it, there's still a ton of room for improvement. I think we've come a long way since when me and Ben played in the OHL. Um, there's different things that the leagues do, and there's different programs that the kids have to go through before the league starts. And um, I think we're making progress, but there's still a ton of uh, ton of improvement we need to make. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think at the now I'm seeing a different side of the game, a different approach at the university level. And mind you, we have a bunch of of ex. Uh, Ontario Hockey League players, players that went to NHL camps, et cetera, that are now in the university uh, realm of things. And to see the the benefits of having players come to the rink that just finished studying optometry and astronomy and law and all these other different things. When guys come into the locker room, they're never talking about hockey, yet they play it every single day. And <laughs> some of them are quite good and may still go on to play in the American Hockey League, potentially the NHL yet they never talk hockey, even in the hockey locker room. And I think the one thing that brings a little bit of light and excitement into a locker room that is, that is predominantly always hockey conversation is the one player that brings up something random. That's the most exciting day in the locker room. And I could probably <laughs> think back of when players would bring up, hey, I just did this on the weekend. We went to you know a cooking class or something. The entire room is just infatuated that, oh my gosh, cooking class, what was it like? What'd you make? I don't know anything about cooking. Tell me as much as you can kind of approach. 
that can be so healthy for for anyone. Not, again, not just athletes. This is bigger than that. To to be and as Brock would say, is be the player that that brings that violin or that book into the locker room and and start that conversation. So. I do see change, but definitely like, like Joey said, I think there is still some things we do a little bit archaic and, and there is room for improvement. Yeah. So I would say the same thing on my end too, because it's interesting to me with all the athletes that I work with. Um, they're very vocal if they have a relationship with me, except the hockey players. And I don't say the hockey players names and I work with them in the NHL, the OHL and all the way through, and you'll never hear me say a name. And that's one thing that I keep saying to them is that, let's have this opportunity. Let's, can we make it, this is a positive thing. And so even being a female in the world of hockey, my opportunities are extremely limited. And I just think that's one way we, we should have more of that expression. as whoever's going to bring that in and have that opportunity for that. We shouldn't be having a mental skills consultant as a negative thing. It's much more positive thing, but we just haven't broken that barrier yet. I don't think. I agree. Hish, I have a question for you. If if you can reflect on it, there may be a couple times that this happened, but what were some of the biggest milestones in the journey to, to where you are today? You you are still the Joey Hish and you always were. You do things a little differently. You may show up and do a different something a little different at work than, than you were used to. But what was the biggest pivot or milestone or, or breath of fresh air uh, for you in your in your journey thus far? Yeah, I think there's been multiple. I think uh, the relationship with Brian O'Reilly was huge for me, being able to communicate with him and be 100% honest with with how I was truly feeling through my recovery process. Um, I think my relationship with Dale DeGray, the general manager in Owen Sound, has been extremely beneficial. Um, When I retired, I I pretty much reached out to him right away to see if there was going to be um, an avenue with Owen Sound that I could try and pursue, and luckily there was. So um, I, I don't know. I think relationships. The, the most important thing for me with with what I'm doing, and and I think anybody in the world, no matter what you're doing, I think the most important thing is to build really good, solid relationships and try and connect with people uh, as well as you possibly can. And and that's something I've always tried to do when I was a player. Um, I always tried to be someone that was a bit of a leader and, and could really help people and connect with people on a personal level aside from the game. And, and now as a coach, I think that's a, an extremely important value I have as well and, and something that I've built over time, but is, uh, is super important in, in having success in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then what, I'll ask, what was the challenge for you? What, what challenges did you find that repetitively kept coming up for you that you had to learn how to deal with and cope with? I, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier when we talked about uh, the identification of uh, I'm a hockey player. That's all I've ever done, and that's what I that's what I want to do. So I, I think that was super super challenging for me. And and I I think we we also touched on it earlier, uh, and it still comes up to this day at times where I almost feel like I should I should go chase that dream dream again. So um, it it's uh it's pretty funny when those things come up when you when you're able to step take a step back and, and realize what you're doing to yourself. And I mean, have a look around and, and kind of, kind of put those thoughts in their place. I guess I would say, I don't know if that's the right term, but that's what I try and do. But those are, those are challenges that still come up uh, on a regular basis. You know, Joey, I will assure you working with a lot of athletes that you made a really good decision at a really good time. And you may not know about all the exciting events that are ahead of for you, but I do know. And so it's really nice to see you move through that. And that will just keep reassuring you for all the things and the decisions you've made. It, it's difficult working with athletes right now. So even my Olympic athletes, there's this norm right now in society that one Olympics isn't enough. And so I watch them come back for their second Olympics and I watch them have financial repercussions to that, but they'll never get back on stage. They'll never be able to get back on par when they're 35 or 40 years old because they haven't built a career. And so I'm really asking people who are supporters of sport right now to be able to tell people it's okay to shut the door. It's okay to chapter on it. It's okay to move on to that next thing. And we have to be hopeful and we have to be optimistic and move through that because Really, what, as I said, what I see ahead for you is just these amazing opportunities that will allow you to do those things. And I think that I, I would rather see an athlete that really, is, you know, sometimes thinks and looks back a little bit, but 30% or, you know, 70% of the time look forward than an athlete that stays at the party way too long. Because to me, that's the bigger tragedy because they never, ever can get back on par with where they need to be. And the sacrifices and the compromises are too big for them and for me to take that I don't, I, I'm not comfortable with. 
I, I really, I really appreciate that, Cam, and and uh, I think your insight throughout this conversation has been incredible. I know we're on this podcast together, talking to thousands of other people, but I feel like I'm a student at one of your classes. It's been super beneficial for me. <laughs> it's funny you say that, Joy, because I'm learning to try to not speak this way because my sons have been saying to me, "Mom, we're used to the way you talk," but other people come and they keep thinking, "I just, I, I think she just lectured me. I think I learned a few ways to live." my life <laughs> so i'm really trying to calm down in my tone <laughs> before we before we get to our, our fun question at the end that, that we've been waiting for and we'll see how how honest Hish is allowed to be we'll see if he had to sign a, a non-disclosure or if he can tell us the truth but before we get to that um i think one of the one of the issues i'm seeing with with people uh, toward I'd say that that time where the writing's on the wall and we briefly touched on that like should I should I exit what I'm doing again sport or otherwise waiting for the perfect point perfect time to exit well I can't exit yet because I don't have my ducks in a row or I can't exit yet because I don't have a business model a plan a perfect plan together for someone in that position Kim what would your advice be to someone that's it's kind of the idea of aim 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 and never fire Uh, what would your approach be to that that person well, first of all, the word perfect, I always like to try to get that out of our vernacular because there's no such thing as a perfect skate, a perfect game, a perfect relationship, a perfect time. It just doesn't exist. But there's the right time, right? And we can make a decision that's the right decision for us. Um, it's going to be a lot of gray. And that means that as you get older, so when you're, when you're younger, your decisions are very black and white, right? I like this person. I don't like this person. But as we start to get older, those decisions, nothing's ever going to stand out that says, this is absolutely the right time. This is absolutely the right thing. We're going to have to get comfortable in that gray area, which is, why do I want to make this decision? What am I prepared to leave so that I can gain? I'm a big believer in hope psychology, which is having this faith that making that decision, it might not feel right now, but it's going to feel a whole lot better when I'm on the other side of it. So psychologically, the hardest part is to actually walk that walk from intention to execution, right? So if we understand that, that our mind's going to play a lot of games with us in that period where they're going to tell us not to go, stay where you are, it's safe, it's comfortable, we can't listen to that. We have to really fully understand what will this behavior change do for me, for my life going forward, and then I'm willing to do the work to get my emotions and my thoughts in line with that and keep moving in that direction. One of the, the, sorry, Hish, before you go, one of the, the quotes I heard the other day is you really don't know what you're capable of until your back's a little bit against the wall. And I, I don't think it has to get to that dramatic of yeah. a point. And maybe it does for, for some, uh, but it's, it, I think it's totally true is when you've done one thing for so long, you really honestly don't know. Like that's that you just don't know what you're capable of until, until you have to act. I think that people make decisions because they're afraid of missing something. And it's okay to have the emotion of missing, right? Because what does missing tell us? It tells us that what I did was of value. Those people that were in my life at that time were of value. So if anything, that missing feeling should really reinforce the decision that that was that chapter that you did previously. So that doesn't mean you go back. It doesn't mean that you stay. All it does is it values and it gives us that that confidence in the decision that we did. So I can accept these missing feelings because there's going to be a whole array of other feelings that I'm going to get with the new junctures and the new choices that I'm going to make. I love it. That's absolutely awesome. awesome. All right. So, Hish, I, I, I know you're working with NHL players. I know you're working with the up-and-coming All-Stars. But is there someone else that it, it maybe originally wasn't a, a hockey player that is not their main area of work today that you're working with for some big event coming up? Hopefully, when and hopefully sooner than later, when we are out of this uh, pandemic, we found ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Jordan Bennington and Justin Bieber have a little bit of a pet going, and uh, Justin's from Stratford, so he reached out for some lessons to to try and help him improve his hockey skills. Uh, almost like we talked about early in, earlier in the show, it's, uh, he's expanding his horizons a, a little bit, and he's super passionate about hockey. So. Uh, he's he's trying to do the best he possibly can to to become a better hockey player. He's extremely passionate about the game, and um, I'm going to be honest. I think Benner might be in trouble. <laughs> so what you is that? What? If oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, I was just going to say, but do you know what Justin Bieber needs along with that? He needs sports psych. He needs to be able to transfer those You're skills right. that he's learning from you into competition. <laughs> Absolutely. 
<laughs> Hish, what is the what is the competition they're doing? If if people even want to follow along with with uh, what what Banner's doing with um, with Justin, what's the uh, competition? So so Benner reached out and. I think he said, I think the exact words were 10 penalty shots. If you score one, I'll dye my hair blonde. Um, and then not knowing if he'd get a response or not. And obviously, Justin being a, a huge hockey fan and super passionate about the game, he accepted the challenge right away. And um, he's, uh, he's turned it into more of a charity thing. So I don't think the blonde hair thing's going to be happening, but I think it'll be a charity thing if, if Justin scores, then. Uh, then Jordan will have to donate to, to some charity. And then if uh, Jordan stops all 10, Justin will have to make some kind of contribution. Incredible. So it's a win-win, uh, but obviously for for your program and your business to evolve, it'd be nice if, if the money came from Binner. A- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I got asked uh, yesterday, I was on 31 Thoughts on uh, Sportsnet and they asked me who I Who's, where my loyalty laid, and it's uh, it's with Bieber all day long because that's only going to build my business if I can get him to score on Jordan Minikin. <laughs> that is fantastic. I don't know if either of you have any closing thoughts. I can't wipe the smile off my face because this conversation's been fantastic. Hish, like you said, you're working through this I, this thing we call we you know we've called it a bunch of different things on this call. I would certainly admit openly that I am too. Uh, it's just the reality. I think of life and, and transition and, and how life works. So this has been great for me personally. Is there any closing remarks from, from either of you? Well, I would just say, adding on to that, I think we're all working through things constantly. I don't want to hear anyone ever say, hey, I made it. I'm here. I don't have any more psychological growth. I've got nothing else, right? That, that's pretty much, it always reminds me of that line, you know, life goes on long after the thrill of living is done. And I don't want anyone to ever get there. I think we can always expand and we can always develop. So it's always about working forward and always pushing through that truth. So I, I think you two have been fantastic about that. And I've enjoyed my relationship with both of you. So thank you very much for that. It's been a real joy for me. Yeah. And same, same for me, Ben. I really appreciate uh, you having me on with Kim. I think uh, things happen for a reason. And I'm, I'm really glad we were able to have this conversation. And uh, like I said, it's been a pleasure for me to be here. Um, one of Kim's comments earlier, get comfortable being uncomfortable. If, if I think, I think if anybody can take anything away from this, that's uh, something I know for me, I'm going to be taken away from it. So uh, really cool and uh, absolute pleasure to be here. That brings us to the end of another Heroic Minds podcast. I encourage you to send me emails, keep the conversation going, offer constructive criticisms. I want to improve. I want to expand and evolve, just like we heard in this podcast. So I encourage you to send me an email. It'll be in the description of this episode. And if you are enjoying the Heroic Minds podcast, please remember to leave a positive review on whatever platform it is you use to listen. I'm Ben Finelli. This is the Heroic Minds podcast. We'll talk again soon.